Let us hear God's word from 1 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. (coughs) Amen. Well, we continue here, Paul's commands to Timothy. And uh, as we saw last time, his instructions about being a good minister for Christ uh, continue, and specifically toward Timothy. But whether we are Timothy, or a teaching elder like myself, or a ruling elder, or some other leader in the church, or a member, these things apply to each one of us. Maybe specifically in certain settings, more so than others, but certainly all believers are to be good ministers or servants of Jesus Christ. So we saw in verses 6 to 11, Paul saying, in order to be a good minister, that we should instruct others in the truth and warn of that which is false. We should meditate on the truth and reject speculation. We should strive with all of our might to be godly. And because Timothy was relatively young, he was in his 30s, maybe early 30s, maybe mid-30s, but he was young, uh, especially at that time, to be considered as an elder, um, and even young in our day. Um, Paul says, okay, now how are you going to convince people that you are able to be a good leader? Well, he says simply be an example. Be an example to everyone and everything. What you say, what you do, what your motivations are. Live by faith. Live a pure life. And then he said in verse 13, While you're waiting for me to come, basically lead the church. Lead them in the use of the means of grace. And so lead them in the public reading of the scriptures. Read them in exhorta- or excuse me, lead them in exhortation and preaching. And then, of course, teach the truth. This is what a good minister of Christ is going to do, not only in a position like myself, but even as we uh, teach our children and grandchildren at home. We use the means of grace. It's not rocket science. We don't have to come up with the latest and greatest program to lead the church or to teach our children. Use the means of grace. Read the scriptures. Teach it, 
and proclaim it. We don't have to be the CEO of some PCA church. Just use the means of grace. Well, Paul continues now. Verse 14. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Now, there have been seven commands thus far, beginning in verse 6. There are five more just through verse 16, and we're going to see some more in chapter 5. And as I've mentioned, beginning in verse 6, these commands are focused on Timothy, you singular. That continues. But again, by extension, we have application for ourselves. So here, specifically, Paul says, Timothy, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Do not disregard it. Do not reject it. And note two things he says then. In you, it's something within him. Obviously, God planted this gift in Timothy. It's not something inherent to Timothy. It's not something that he has, um, and God's somehow not a part of it. Uh, No, all the gifts that we have come from God ultimately. But this has been given specifically. And then Paul says, which was given to you. So it's not only in him, but it was given to him, of course, ultimately by God. And it was given by prophecy, or you could say by means of prophecy. When someone spoke, we don't know for sure who gave this word, but when they spoke uh, this word of prophecy, this gift was given to Timothy. The Spirit made it clear through the words of this person speaking. It wasn't just somebody's opinion, and it wasn't Timothy's biased, proud mother that said this either. And so it came from Uh, likely one of the elders, which is our next part, with the laying on the hands of the elders. This wasn't done privately, just Timothy in his prayer closet, or even Timothy and one other person, but it was done publicly, at least in front of the elders. And since elders here is plural, we know there's two of them, plus Timothy, and as we'll see in a moment, Paul was there too. So there was at least four people that were a part of this, And it may have been in front of the whole church. Now let me pause here just a moment and note once again this teaching that we see. Um, Church government is an important aspect of how we run and and do things in the church. It isn't just random. It isn't just uh, whatever we think is going to work. There are principles given to us in the scriptures. And if we follow those principles, then and God is honored and the church is blessed. Well, we see again the plurality of elders here. It isn't just one elder. It isn't just something me and Jesus and I have a word from the Lord. No, the word came from God through the elders, through the laying on the hands, and whoever it was that prophesied. And so whether this was Timothy being ordained as an elder or being commissioned to go with Paul on the missionary journey. Uh, Either way, clearly we see the elders are involved in this. And then we can see this and understand this to mean that Timothy was ordained either by his local session, you could say, or by the presbytery. If this was a commissioning service, for example, um, then maybe people from other churches came in the presbytery to uh, uh, be a part of uh, Timothy being sent with Paul. And some of these details were not given, but certainly these are principles that we see here and that we follow today in our Presbyterian 
church, with our form of government. All right, well, <clears throat> most likely then, this occurred when Timothy was, if you will, claimed by Paul in the second missionary journey. So let's turn there a moment to Acts chapter 16. And of course, we saw this not too long ago in our studies in Acts. And in Acts 16, <clears throat> at the beginning of the second missionary journey, we see beginning in verse 1, it says, Then he, Paul, came to Derby and Lystra, Remember, Silas was along. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Now, obviously, Luke here is emphasizing the uh, circumcision of Timothy. And following right on the heels of the Jerusalem Council, clearly he's making a very important point here. And so we wish he would say a little bit more what happened here. But it is likely when Paul and Timothy and the elders came together and laid hands on Timothy and set him apart in this way. Probably happened here. Could have happened elsewhere, but probably here. So let's turn now back to 1 Timothy, but chapter 1. You remember these words from chapter 1 and in verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies, note plural, previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So... um, Does this mean more more than one person spoke at this ordination or commissioning service? Does it mean it happened at more than one place, more than one occasion? Obviously, it happened more than once, somehow. And Paul makes reference to that there to encourage Timothy. And then if you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, we then have these words of Paul, 2 Timothy. Timothy 1, and uh, beginning in verse 3, it says, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of, note, my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. All right, now clearly, Paul says he was there when it happened. Through the laying on of hands, Paul's hands were part of that. So you can imagine then, Timothy there, with Paul laying hands, two other elders laying hands, and maybe more than that. Maybe Paul's the one who brought the prophecy. Maybe somebody else was. We don't know. The fact that he ties Timothy and and this event with his mother and grandmother suggests to us, anyway, that it did take place in Acts chapter 16. Certainly not definitive. But the point is, notice that Paul is referring to this event in Timothy's life on a few different occasions. Obviously, Timothy needed some encouragement. 
Um, in light of what we see here, right, spirit of fear, uh, Timothy was afraid. He was timid. Now, maybe he was just a timid kind of person, a fearful kind of person. Uh, maybe he was just daunted by the situation in, in Ephesus or in other places. Uh, the false teachers, of course, were there and so on. But whatever the case, Paul's encouraging him. He's telling Timothy that God's given you a gift. And it was publicly acknowledged. There was prophecy. Be encouraged by that. And so um, this should be an encouragement to Timothy, but it seems like he keeps needing to hear it. (laughs) Now, obviously the question that is raised here is what gift are we talking about? We're not told. But most people throughout the centuries, at least conservatives, um, think that this is probably the gift of teaching. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12 again, like we did this morning. And in verse 28, you may recall me reading this then. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, it says, And God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Timothy's not an apostle, so it's not that gift. Second, prophets. Well, I think Paul would have said things a little differently there. Third, teachers. Well, that certainly fits. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, variety of tongues. Now, of this list, teachers certainly is the most logical. And most people, most conservatives over the centuries have said, yes, this is the gift that was given to Timothy. He was a gifted teacher. And in light of what we've seen here in 1 Timothy, even just in this section, verses 6 and following, we see this idea of teaching. Just last week, verse 13, right? Teach them, preach, read the word. And so this gift um, certainly was used in the context of leading in the church in Ephesus. And even though he was so young, it helped to set Timothy apart. He was a good teacher. He was a good preacher. Maybe not as good as Apollos, but that's okay. He was still set apart in this way. And so, again, in light of what we saw last time in verse 12, don't let anyone despise you because of your youth. Because, Timothy, remember, you were set apart. Whether he was ordained as an elder or commissioned to go with Paul as an evangelist or something like that, Timothy clearly was set apart. He was given a gift. He was given this prophecy. He was Paul's apostolic delegate and so forth. He was, he, he was qualified, basically. And uh, so Paul is emphasizing these things. And so he's trying to encourage Timothy. And by extension, then, he is encouraging those in Ephesus to accept Timothy as their teacher. I'm sure there were some that didn't have any problems, but then there were others who thought, well, he's not old enough. And then, of course, you have the false teachers, and they don't like anything that is true, of course. And so it is likely because of this response that Timothy is hesitant, the response of the false teachers, and even among true believers who think Timothy wasn't old enough. So now, back to the point. He says, do not neglect the gift. Don't hide it just because you are timid or afraid. 
Furthermore, don't ignore the word that came from God. And don't ignore the word that came from fellow believers when they laid hand on, hands on you saying that, yes, we believe God has gifted you and called you to do this. And so um, all of that is to encourage him. Or we can put it positively. Instead of do not neglect the gift, we could say develop the gift. Use the gift that God has given to you. And, assuming we're right here, and it is the gift of teaching, Timothy, teach. Okay? And learn to teach better. Discern what is false and uphold what is true. And so here's the, the basic idea, which in many ways is just reiterating everything we've seen in one way or another here in this section and even in the book. Which brings us then to verse 15. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Two more commands here in the first of these. Meditate on these things. Now when we think of meditation, we uh, think of the mind, thinking about it. Okay, we're, we're ruminating or we're meditating on a certain idea. Now, if you're you know, part of the New Age crowd or something, meditating is emptying your mind and all that sort of nonsense. But um, to meditate here, again, we tend to think of using the mind. And that's not wrong. But that's not really what Paul is emphasizing here. The word actually most naturally means to cultivate to develop, to practice even. Now, it includes the mind. How do you become a better teacher? Well, you think about it, but then you do it too. And so, again, this isn't just something happening up in in our heads. It's something that we are doing as well. And so Paul says to Timothy, basically, grow. Tend to this plant, so to speak, this gift you have been given, like growing crops or growing flowers or even tending to animals, you could say. Grow them. Develop them. This gift that you have been given. And so that includes the mind, but it's more than that. Now the next command here in the verse, the New King James translates, give yourself entirely to them. Literally, it's the to be verb as a command. So literally it just says, be in them. It's a state of being. It's a state of existence. Exist in them, you could say. So don't just think about it. Don't just practice it. Be a teacher, you could say. Be these things. Exist as these things. So give yourself entirely to them. Okay, that gets at the idea. But again, it's the idea of existence here. Something that Timothy is, not just something Timothy does. And for those who are teachers, we understand this, don't we? It's not a nine-to-five job, is it? (laughs) We are teachers. It's not just that we teach. Um, And so, uh, note this emphasis. Now, um, Paul is basically saying, give continuous effort here. Exist at it. Grow at it. Don't be content. Don't bury your talent. Don't be afraid. Be fully devoted in every way to exist as a good teacher and a good minister of Jesus Christ. 
All right, now those are the verbs. Then you have the objects here. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. What are we talking about? Well, I think it's most natural for us to understand this to mean everything he said from verses 6 up to this point. Give yourself entirely to all of these things. Being a good minister by warning against false teaching. Teaching what is true, avoiding speculation, being nourished by the word, being a good example, practicing with great diligence like an athlete, all these things, right? Dwell on the fact that you've been given a gift, you've been given a word of prophecy, that the hands of the elders have been laid upon you. Dwell on those things. Meditate on those things. Grow in these things. Grow in your ability to teach and your ability to refute what is false. Strive in your godliness. Do it personally. Do it privately. Be nourished in the scriptures, but also then, of course, do it publicly by preaching and teaching and be a good example for all to see. All these things then demonstrate being a good minister of Christ, whether you are young, whether you are old. By devoting yourself to them, your hard work and your growth will be seen clearly by everyone. And so Timothy, and again by extension all of us, let's persevere in private, personal holiness as well as public ministry. And this will convince others that you're a good minister of Christ, whether in an official way like myself or in an unofficial way like all believers. And so, whether you're young or not, this is an indication of being mature. It brings respect from others. It brings confidence and so forth. And so, notice how he ends the verse. Your progress will be evident to everyone if you do these things. Which brings us then to verse 16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. All right. Take heed. Watch out. Pay close attention. Now, we have seen this idea back in verse 1. Remember, it says, Some were heeding deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. We saw it last week in verse 13, where Paul says, Give attention to reading, exhortation, and the teachings. Now, this word um, comes from the same root word, but it is slightly different than the word in those other two places. And the difference between the two words seems to add intensity to the basic idea. And so heeding, but now heed extra carefully, you could say. Don't just watch, but closely watch. Don't just pay attention, but pay close attention. And so it seems to intensify the verb. And so this command, take heed, right, closely to two things. First, to yourself, and secondly, to doctrine. And so, nobody's saying the same thing. First, like he said in verse 6, be nourished by the word. So take heed closely to yourself, privately, individually. Spend time in the scriptures. Spend time with the Lord. Do your Uh, Use the means of grace personally. Without this personal effort, how can you lead well? It's it's impossible. 
as the saying goes, um, when no one is watching you, that says a lot about who we are, right? It's not just doing things to be on YouTube or just to be seen by people. How we behave when no one is watching other than God tells a lot about where we are in our relationship with the Lord. Add to that what Paul said in chapter 3 about elders, that elders are going to lead well at home. And so you put all this together, if we, if you will, lead ourselves well, personally, privately, not regarding anybody else, then we're going to lead well at home, and then we will lead well in the church. And so take careful heed of these things. Personal devotion, personal piety, and then in your home, and then by extension, in the church. As we often say, if if you don't worship much at home, you're not going to worship much when you come to church. It becomes a great struggle. And so practice this on a daily basis. And so if you do not closely guard yourself, your words, your actions, your motivations, your walk, you will not be a good example. You will not be a good minister of Christ. So pay close attention to this. And then secondly here, he says, pay close attention or take careful heed to the doctrine. Now this is something he has also said before. And you think maybe especially uh, verses 6 and 7, right? Don't speculate, instruct the brethren. Even back to verses 1 to 3, don't heed these deceptive teachings. Be in the scriptures. Learn them. Study them. Understand the best interpretation of what the scriptures have to say. Good ministers do this. We are students of the word before we are teachers of the word. And so, Timothy, do these things. Hold tightly to the truth. Bad ministers are sloppy. They, you know, kind of skim over the passage ahead of time. And, oh, yeah, I think that's the idea. And then they preach and teach on it or whatever. And many times they miss the point. Maybe only bring out some of it. Let's study the truth carefully. And then we can be faithful and effective teachers. All right, now notice that both are needed here. Uh, And notice how there's one command with two objects. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Both are needed. Personal piety and doctrinal soundness. If you are pious but theologically inaccurate... Paul said in Romans 10, the Jews had zeal but without knowledge. They did all kinds of things. They were tithing on their mint and cumin, but it was without knowledge. They had piety, but it wasn't based on truth, and Jesus rebuked them. But, on the other hand, if you have all your doctrinal ducks lined up, but you do not have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're also like a Pharisee that Jesus condemns. Think of what he said in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not enough to do miracles, to cast out demons, to do all these wondrous things for the Lord. What matters is a relationship with God, doing what God says, and a 
course, Jesus condemns them for being whitewashed tombs, for being hypocrites. They had their doctrine lined up in certain ways, but there was no substance there. Their hearts were far from him. To put it another way, let's practice what we preach. Let's live out what we, what we say that we know. Personal piety and uh, public ministry go together really cannot be separated so let's come then to the 12th overall command here in this section that is continue in them continue in them in other words the doctrine and the piety it seems but it also seems to take us back to everything else that he has said continue in all of these things not just when you go to seminary Not just when you first become an elder or deacon. Not just the first few months after you become a believer. But all the time. Persevere in these things. Do it for the rest of your life. Overcome. Press on to the celestial city. Don't get off track. Don't give up along the way. Here's his command. You see how Paul is basically saying the same thing in a variety of different ways? He's trying to encourage Timothy. He's trying to keep Timothy moving forward. He's trying to encourage those in Ephesus and to convince them that Timothy is worth following. And certainly it applies to ourselves. Let's press on in these things. And then he ends here by saying, if we do this, then we will save ourselves and others. Now, remember what we saw back in verse 10, where he said that God is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. And this, of course, raises questions. Well, now, this verse raises questions as well. And remember how we, we saw some of these ideas back in chapter 2. Um, I say some of the same things. You know, the word save or salvation has a variety of meanings depending on the context. Sometimes it can refer to our initial salvation, to the ideas of justification. Okay? But obviously that's not what Paul is saying here, at least not in the sense of that somehow our doctrinal soundness and our personal piety is going to save us in, in the sense of justifying us. That's not true. Jesus justifies us. Through his work, through his obedience, and through his death. That's how we are forgiven. That's how we are declared to be righteous. Not by anything that we are doing. So being a good example and being a good teacher are important, but that doesn't get us into heaven. And so the word salvation also can be used in the context of our final salvation. When we are glorified. When we are, if you will, fully and finally Saved in the ultimate sense of what that means. Because, you know, we're sitting here, we're saying, yeah, I'm saved. I'm saved from the judgment, but the judgment hasn't happened yet. I'm not in heaven yet. And so we can use this uh, term in that sense. But we also can see the term be used in the process of our salvation or our sanctification. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling, of course, Philippians 2 the most uh, common example of this term being used in that way. And then the term can refer to D all the above, 
depending on the context. Well, <clears throat> I'm inclined to think that Paul actually has D all the above in mind here, in this way. Timothy, if you teach the truth and you set a good example, if you refute those who are fal- false and uphold the things that are true, then you will save others. Not that Timothy saves them, but he's going to present the truth. They're going to hear the truth. They're going to respond to the truth. And it is the gospel, right, through Jesus that actually saves the person, not Timothy. And yet, if Timothy is not teaching the truth, how is anybody going to be saved? God has said that he's not going to save anyone without us humans bringing the gospel to others. So again, Romans chapter 10, for example. And so in that sense, it applies to justification. But maybe mostly, it's emphasizing here this perseverance in godliness. If you work out your salvation, Timothy, if you live a good life, being a good example for others to follow, if you're a good teacher, if you're developing those gifts and uh, privately doing this, publicly doing this, then it's going to be a blessing to everyone. Everyone will grow in grace. It'll honor God, and so on and so forth. So the culmination of all this, of course, is you will persevere to the end. You will help others to overcome. And then when Christ comes back and the judgment day actually happens, we will be saved. I'm inclined to think, actually, that Paul has all the above in mind here, as long as we understand it, uh, in, in the way that I just described. Okay. And so we read, was it uh, two weeks ago maybe? Maybe it was last week. Last week, I suppose, from James chapter 3. Right? Teachers are held to a higher standard, aren't they? Because, in a sense, our words will save people or not. And so we must be very careful not to lead people astray. Because not only will they be condemned, but we will be judged too. Ultimately, of course, God is our Savior through Jesus Christ. But he uses us to bring about salvation for others. We are responsible then to work out our salvation. For those of us who have been placed in positions of leadership, we are responsible to do this. To be faithful ministers. To send forth the truth which leads to the salvation of sinners that strengthens believers to persevere to glory. And as I've said now a number of times here in this section, it isn't just for me to hear these words. It isn't just for your elders to hear these words. It is something for all of us to hear because all of us are placed as teachers in some way, in some capacity, at some point in our lives. And so let's heed these words and lead people unto salvation here in this way. So, here's where Paul uh, leaves us now, but there are more commands to come. And so we will look at those, Lord willing, next time. Let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this relationship of uh, Paul and Timothy 
And these words of encouragement from Paul, the, the spiritual father, to Timothy, the spiritual son. And these words of encouragement that Paul gives to him. Uh, we pray, Lord, that we also would hear these words as uh, children, and that we, uh, in whatever uh, capacity that we find ourselves, that we would um, develop personal piety, that we would develop the gifts that God has given to us, and that we would develop the ability to teach, maybe for some of us in very formal ways, for others of us in informal ways, but all of us are called to proclaim your word, to tell others about you, to tell the truth. And so we ask for your help, Lord, to be in these things, to exist in it. It's not just something we do on occasion. Um, Help us to be good servants, good ministers, for you, our Lord Jesus, for the sake of your your kingdom and your honor. And so we, um, again, ask that you would strengthen us then by your Spirit. We are thankful that we are not left alone to do this on our own. You have given us your spirit to strengthen us, to enable us, um, so that we can serve you in this way. And so we uh, pray these things then in Jesus' name.